And so this morning, the third message in our series is called Making Biblical Sense of Debt. Because I think in the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century, many people do understand teaching on the tithe and many people do understand missions giving. But the lack of obedience in that area many times is because we've made some not necessarily wise decisions in other areas with our finances and we get in bondage. Anybody in bondage to payments, don't raise your hand. Listen, imagine life without payments financially. I mean, imagine a world where there is no house payment, car payment, there's no, there's no credit card payment. I mean, listen, debt in our culture is such a norm, we can't even understand what it's, not, what it's like not to be in debt in some form or fashion. Let me share with you some statistics. Uh, in our culture, there's a myth that says this, debt is a tool that should be used to create prosperity. You've heard that myth. Man, you got to get a credit card and build up your credit, right? I remember when I was in college. Uh, that was a long time ago, but I do remember it. When I was in college, as a freshman, I showed up on campus at Wallace State. There were people giving out credit card applications, and if you would fill it out, you would either get a t-shirt or a free pizza. And what college student doesn't like pizza? Sign me up, man. Give me that thing, and I'll go get my pizza, right? I mean, they were just giving it out, immediately ensnaring people into, into this bondage of debt. The truth is, the Bible teaches that debt is proof that the borrower is slave to the lender. Forbes 400 asked uh, millionaires, people that were very wealthy, uh, what is the most important key to building wealth? And these, this Forbes survey was to people that were very, very wealthy in our country. 75% responded that becoming and staying debt-free was the number one way to build wealth in our culture and in our life. The average credit card debt across the United States is over $5,000. By the way, in Alabama, Alabama, the, Alabama ranks 29th in the United States with credit card debt with an average of $7,100 and $5, the state of Alabama. 55% of credit card users don't pay their balance in full month to month. 83% of adults have at least one credit card. The average number of credit cards per person in the United States is 3.1. Currently, the outstanding revolving debt as, as it relates to credit card debt on a, on a monthly basis. In other words, if we took all the credit card debt in the United States and said, what is that amount of debt nationally that revolves from month to month being unpaid? The amount is $1 trillion. That's consumer debt. That's not government debt. By the way, our government doesn't set a really good example. I know some of you work for the government, but that's okay. They don't do a really good job of modeling fiscal responsibility. The average interest rate in credit cards in the United States is 16.46%. You say, not mine. <laughs> Baby boomers and Generation X, as, as it relates to age, are, are the, the people group that make up the most debt in our culture. Baby boomers and Generation X, which is my generation, so our culture is a culture of debt, right? Buy now, pay later. This morning, God's going to teach us how to live in financial freedom. God wants us to live in financial freedom because God's called us to obedience in the previous two things that we've talked about, tithing and giving to missions. And if you're here today and you say, Jay, I understand that, but I can't, well, you're here on a great Sunday 
Because God's going to give you some hope. God's going to give you some encouragement. God's going to give you some, some Bible to follow to see how this can be a tremendous turning point in your life. I've asked my really good friend, Jonathan Hedden, to come. Jonathan is going to share a testimony of him and his wife, Kim, and how God worked in their life to overcome this issue of debt. Appreciate you, brother. Good morning. My name is Jonathan Hedden. I'm friends with uh, Pastor Jay. We go all the way back to college. And I see all your eyes looking at me like, oh, you can tell lots of great stories about Pastor Jay. He's got more to tell about me than I have to tell about him. The only difference in Pastor Jay that you see than I knew in college was the beard and that shiny thing on the top of his head. I don't know what that is. But he asked me this morning to tell you about my and my family's journey to financial freedom, financial peace. So... I graduated college in December of 2000. I took my first job offered to me out of college. I thought I was rocking and rolling. I was making just a tad over minimum wage. Within a year, I got married. And within a year, I went into debt, bought a brand new house, bought a brand new car, living the American dream all the while while making student loan payments because you can't live the American dream without having a student loan. Okay, so... Five years of time pass away, and my son is born. And so he was premature. We did that neonatal center stuff. Within six months, he's diagnosed with acid reflux, all these extra doctor bills. You get diagnosed with acid reflux. They, naturally, the doctor puts you on the most expensive formula known to man. And all the while, we're trying to figure out, okay, Kim, I think you need to be a stay-at-home mom. And... We kind of hit what we thought was rock bottom when we couldn't even afford to buy our son food. And it broke me. It literally took a guy who thinks he knew every, the answer to every question known to man, and it just broke me. And so my wife started listening to this guy on the radio by the name of Dave Ramsey. And his message of how to handle money God's way made sense to her now. It didn't make a lick of sense to me. And so back in those days, we were technically savvy. We would put our son to bed, get him asleep, close the door, and then we would go to bed. And my wife would take that laptop, go to his website, and click play on this show. And she knew that she was getting to me because there's two things that really bother me when it's time to go to bed, light and noise. And so every night, every night. And then finally, about 2007, I decided, okay, I'll give it, I will take your little hints, your little nudges. Let's do, let's do this. Let's sit down. So I remember thinking, okay, we sat down in our living room in our house. I was on one side of the living room. She was on the other side with her laptop, her spreadsheet, her calculator, her pencils, her pens. And I'm just sitting on the other side just kind of staring off into space. We did our first budget. Not good. We did our second. I was like, take this out, take that out, take that out. And she was like, okay, okay. We did our second budget. Not good. And after the three tries, the best that we could do was we were $780 in the hole every month. And so along that time, we were like, okay, how is this possible? Well, one of the things that we did when we were broke, desperate, and stupid was, was we tithed. Every week we tithed. We, every time we got paid, we tithed at church. And not only tithed, we gave to missions too. Now, how is that possible? So every month... We would do this budget on paper, $780 in the hole, but God would somehow stretch our money to where 
We never missed a payment. Our son had food, and we were like, holy cow, how is this possible? We would look at each other, and we would be like, oh, my goodness, this is impossible. Well, when you do things God's way, God kind of blesses you. And so in, in October of 2007, I got a different job. And let me just tell you something. I got a big raise, not a big, big raise, but a big raise for someone making minimum wage. And so I remember a month after I started working this new job, we come home, we paid my student loan off. And then we're working Dave Ramsey's plan. We're, we're doing everything that we can. We're going through his steps. And at step three, it's like you need to have a fully funded emergency fund. And what that means is, is you save three to six months of expenses for an emergency, an umbrella, when it's raining outside. And so we're rocking, we're rolling. I mean, I, I got so much on board that I come home one day from work to Kim's mother's house and went in the back bedroom, called the credit card company, canceled my credit card, cut it up, and threw it around. And we were, we were excited. And so we had just finished making Baby Step 3. We had a fully funded emergency fund. We were on cloud nine. And then February 19th, 2010, I got a present from work. I got a pink slip. And so my wife, being next to Godly, she was like, hey, this is okay. This, this is going to be great. Me, I was like, oh, no, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And we were able to not miss a payment, not miss a meal. We had our, our, our three to six months, and everything was perfect. The only thing that changed for us was the menu. It went from eating nice food to eating soup, and I can't stand soup to this day. <laughs> so get this, though. I want to tell you something, uh, give you a little hope. Three months of being unemployed and on unemployment, it's a really time where, you know, when, when, when you get that pink slip and you see your wife signing the word loser because she knows sign language, you're like, man, I feel really bad. And then what happens is three months of unemployment, unemployment we never missed a payment we didn't do anything and we still tithe and so on May 17th God blesses obedience I got called from the company who laid me off and said hey are you ready to come back to work and I answered the guy I said where do I sign up for that so here we go we're rocking and rolling and then this thing called Murphy hits us like crazy $4,500 for a new HVAC on our house and this was only after a month of me going back to work. And then, two months after that, our kid gets diagnosed with these environmental allergies. What? we got to tear all the carpet out of the house, replace the furniture, you name it, another $4,500. But there was peace. And so we started doing the Dave Ramsey plan for your money. And it was awesome. We had lots of ups and downs. And then seven years later, we paid off our house. And let me just tell you about paying off your house. When you have a paid-for house, you have fun. You know why you have fun? Because you have money. You know why God gives you money? God gives you money so that you can give to God's work and support some missionaries and do some faith promise. Here's the other thing that God gives you. He gives you this thing called peace. When you lay your head down at night on your pillow and you, don't, you have a paid-for house, you have peace. It also changes the way you see things. That chore that you call grass cutting and weed eating mysteriously with a paid-for house, 
You're cutting lines in your grass, trying to make it look like the grass at Fenway Park. I mean, <laughs> it is awesome. So here's the deal. Last year, me and my wife, we moved to Huntsville. We bought a house. And so, yes, we took out a mortgage on our house. And we've sat down and we've come up with a plan for us to pay this house off in seven years. And you know why we do this? We do this because, number one, we want God's blessings on our life. Number two, we want to change our family tree and change that little 12-year-old boy out there. And then if God blesses us with grandchildren and great-grandchildren, we want to change that. And let me tell you something. If you're struggling, there's hope for you. I mean, I, Kim and I have been blessed to have led Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University at our last church. We taught like three, three classes. We helped all kind of people. If I was to mention a lady by the name of Cindy, my wife would start crying because she had one of the worst situations that we've ever seen. I mean, she, she, her, her husband did all the finances in their home, and she didn't have a clue. And then all of a sudden, her husband is pretty much, he's got sick to where he's just a shell, and somebody has to sit with him every day, and she don't have a clue. And then, you know, we, we, we've seen it all. We, we, we know that couple that when they came to class, they, their, their goal in life was to chase money so that, you know, that was their job. It was never enough that they made up money numbers on their budget. We were like, okay, thank you. Hope you get something from the class, you know. You, God bless you. Um, I'll tell you a little story in finishing. When you do this, you have peace. And... What's really neat about having financial peace is we, Kim and I don't fight over money. And, you know, usually when we sit down to dinner, all of our problems, we can work them out. And, you know, it's funny, you know, I don't complain about the grocery budget, you know. And I know you're thinking that, you know, oh, you're just a one-off, that, that crazy nerd and different things like that. Anybody can do this. I'm telling you. Kim is very good. She's a saver. I'm a spender. I have never been able to save money in my entire life. And if I was to pull out my wallet right now, it's empty because I can't keep money in my wallet. Just this week, Kim asked me, she said, hey, how much is in my grocery budget? And I pulled up my phone, pulled up our little every dollar budget app. And within two minutes, I said, hey, was your last grocery purchase in here? And she said, no. I added it in. I said, hey, you have this much money in your, in your budget for groceries. Three minutes, no argument, no trying to, you know, do any kind of thing. And so, leave you with this. Thank you, Pastor Jay, for the opportunity to get up here and to, to give you a little message of hope. You know, dollars and cents. You want God's blessing on your life in dollars and cents. And I'll tell you something else. When, when, you, do, when you handle money God's way, God blesses your money. He blesses your marriage. He blesses your children. Because we do this, I'm a better husband to my wife. I'm a better dad to my son. And when I go to work, I'm a better employee. So I hope that I've left you with something that says, hey, Pastor Jay's not preaching because he wants your money. He's preaching because he wants you to have hope, and that's what you need. Amen. Such a blessing, man. Known Jonathan a long time. Like he said, and it's really cool to hear that story, right? Because sometimes if you don't hear stories of hope, you think you're the only one, right? That, man, I can't, I'm stuck. I can't get out of this thing, and nobody can get out of this thing because that's just our culture. Um, there's a message of hope and, and God's grace and uh, 
God's blessing when we do things right. So I want to I want to share. He, he's already preached the sermon, but I want to show you. There's Bible to back it up. <laughs> Second Kings chapter four, just a few minutes. I want to I want to give you just an Old Testament picture of what he just talked about with his life and his testimony. And this is a, uh, an Old Testament story with the life of Elisha and a, and a woman that's widowed, and, uh, and she's in a burden financially. And so if you'll look on the screen or pick it up in your Bible, the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. Well, that'll change the game in your home. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said to her, What what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in thy house? You know, this this is a very similar story to many of our stories, right? There's a financial crisis. There's been a tragedy in the family. And now this woman is crying out to the the man of God and crying out to God, What am I going to do? I mean, there's despair, there's discouragement, and, and we'll get to the points in a second, but I want to read the story. So Elisha hears her, and he says, what shall I do to thee? What hast thou in thine house? And she said, thine handmaid hath not anything in thy house, save a pot of oil. That's all we have. We have one pot of oil. That's it. Then he said, go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few and when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into those, all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. In other words, all you have is a pot of oil. Go knock on all your neighbor's doors, ask them if they have any containers that are empty, and borrow those. Okay? And, and you're going to shut the door, and God's about to do a miracle. You take the oil that you have, and you pour it into those empty vessels, and just see what God does. And, and so the Bible says, you're going to set aside what, what is full, verse 5. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said to her, there is not a vessel more. In other words, I've gotten everything I could get. <laughs> Nobody else has empty vessels. And the Bible says the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. So, so very similar story. As we, as we kind of look in the Bible, we hear Jonathan and Kim's testimony. We, we're talking about dealing with debt. We're talking about dealing with tragedy financially. Here is a woman who is indebted, and the creditor to whom she owes is calling her, her loan in due, and her children are collateral for the loan. That's about as bad as you can get. And by the way, her husband is dead. So this woman is in dire straits, man. She's living the American nightmare like many of us, and, and, and she doesn't know what to do. Here's the first point in your notes is this. Number one, debt in our life creates desperation and despair. Debt creates desperation and despair. She says, I'm about to lose my kids. I've already lost my husband. I don't have anything in my house. There's nothing left. And and here's the reality for us. Look, sometimes our financial situation has to get so bad for us to realize this is desperate. Sometimes God allows us to hit rock bottom financially because we've made poor decisions. Maybe we haven't budgeted. Maybe we haven't obeyed God in the tithe and missions giving. 
We will never change our financial house until it hurts bad enough. This woman hurt bad enough to cry out for help. Do you see that? She cried out for help because she realized, man, this is painful. This is desperation. I'm in despair. And by the way, that's true of any sin in our lives. When it hurts bad enough, then we'll cry out to God for his grace and mercy. And not until then. Do you realize that? God, God is there to help, but listen, you can't get help if you don't ask for it. God wants to walk you out of that financial situation, and God wants to walk you out of whatever sin that you're in, but you have to come to the place that you realize your own desperation and despair. And as long as you're comfortable in your sin and disobedience, you'll, you'll never ask for help, which means you'll never repent, which means that God can never turn your life around. And so we need to understand that this financial thing that we're going to talk about, well, it really paints a spiritual picture because we're, we're in debt to sin. There's a payment that's due. And Jesus Christ paid that sin penalty for us. But listen, you won't call on his name until you're desperate, desperate and despaired enough to, to do it. You won't want to change from your sin until it hurts bad enough or you hurt other people bad enough. And so, and so I'm thankful that there is a God in heaven that hears us in our distress. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 18 and verse 6, the psalmist says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and I cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Aren't you thankful that God hears prayer? Listen, if, if it hurts bad enough, there's a God in heaven that'll hear. He'll listen. If your financial house is a wreck, then the first thing you need to do is cry out to God. If you're in despair and desperation, you need to pray and ask God to help us out of this situation. Yes, God, we got here, but we need help getting out of it. And that's the same principle that applies to our sin. Hey, God, my sin got me where I am. Will you please help me get out of it? Amen? I'm thankful that there's a God that, that hears and answers prayers. Number two, debt will impact you and your family. Debt will impact you and your family because verse, verse 1, part B says... My husband is dead, and, and listen, the creditor has come to take my two sons to be bondmen. They're about to be slaves because of my debt. And listen, financial disaster is happening in this family. It affects not only the husband and the wife, but it affects the children. And in our homes, listen, financial disaster affects not only us and our spouse, it affects our children. I appreciate what Jonathan said, and our grandchildren. I can't tell you how many funerals I've done where the main topic of the funeral was who's going to pay for the funeral. That's a sad day. When a family can't grieve properly for the loss of their loved one because the burden, the financial burden, the financial crisis of how we get enough money to put this loved one in the ground is the main topic of conversation. If you don't think your financial house affects other people, friend, you are ignorant of the Bible. It does affect. You don't believe that, just die and see what happens to your family. It will affect your family. And maybe this husband didn't take responsibility. The Bible doesn't give us any indication of whose fault this is. It, we don't know if it's the husband's fault. You know, Proverbs 13 and verse 22 does say that a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. In other words, a good man positions himself to leave an inheritance for his grandchildren. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. And so God does set a standard of financial responsibility that should change your family tree three generations deep. 
By the way, if you've been on the receiving end of, of some poor financial sh- stewardship in your family, you know what that feels like. It's time to change the family tree. Amen? It's time to change the family tree. Listen, there's some sin in my family tree that I pray to God stops with us. You pray that for your family? There's also some financial stewardship that we've been the recipients of that, that we want to change for our house. Because as for me and my house, we want to serve the Lord. And so we want to we create a, a, an obedience to God and his word uh, concerning this issue of finances. Listen, your family is going to be impacted by your debt and or your stewardship and or your lack of stewardship. Maybe the wife spent all the money. Man, we don't know. All I know is that at the end of the story, all she says that we have left is a pot of oil in this house. That's all that's left. And the kids were used as a collateral on the loan, which proves the point of Proverbs 22 and verse 7. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. We are. If we are in financial bondage, and if we, look, you would say, well, Jay, that's our culture. We can't buy anything without payments. Okay, just know that if you have payments, you are servant to the lender. You are under their, their rulership. They, they, they have leverage over you. You are dependent upon them, and they certainly have a debt that is required from you. Proverbs 21 and verse 20 says this, There is treasure to be desired in oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. God, God's house and our homes, well, it should have... Hey, hey listen, didn't the woman say, hey, all I have is one pot of oil. There's no treasure. There's just this one thing. That's all that's left. God's word says that, that in the house of the wise, there's treasure and there's oil in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man spends everything that he makes. He's content living paycheck to paycheck. And listen, that's our culture, but I'm not excusing our culture. We have a Bible that teaches us bigger than our culture. All the treasure was gone. The oil was almost spent. This was not a house with the dwelling of the wise. And the truth is, in the 21st century church, there's many of our homes where we're not really the dwelling of the wise as it relates to finances. You say, Jay, I come to church, I read my Bible, and I'm a witness for Jesus. I rejoice in all of that. But, but you know, the, the impact of the gospel on your life should infiltrate every area of your life, including your finances, including your marriage, including the way you parent your children. And, and we need to realize the impact of our financial decisions on our immediate family and the generations to come. And so, and so you say, Jay, man, this is heavy. Get out of here. Move on to the next point. I will, because it's going to get better. I promise. Look, point number three is this. Look, getting out of debt begins with assessing your financial status. And so when this woman cried out to Elisha, he asked her two questions. You know, what do you, what, what do you want me to do? But the second question I think is more important The second question is, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? That's how Elisha answered her. What do you have? I appreciate what Jonathan said. Again, man, he already preached the sermon. He didn't look at my notes, by the way. We needed to sit down and and do a budget. And then after we did the first one, we need to shred that one, burn it, never look at it again, and do a second one because the numbers didn't look really good. And then we needed to do a third one. What do we have and what do we not have? And, and listen, this woman had to do an assessment. Listen, she had, she had to look at what she did have, not what she did not have. Can I just tell you that in our culture, 
in Laodicea Christianity in America, we focus on what we don't have. We never have enough money. We never have enough resources. We never have enough food or the right kind of food. We never have enough clothing. And we certainly never have enough time. And listen, if you're always looking at what you don't have instead of what you do have, God can't do a miracle in your life. God starts with what you have. And so she said, here's what I got. I got a pot of oil. And Elisha said, okay, that's something we can use. That, that's a reality. That's, a, that's an assessment of where you are right now. Listen, when we get desperate enough in our financial situation, when it hurts enough, we're going to sit down and we're going to determine what we have. In other words, it's time to do a budget. And if you conveniently look on the back of your sermon notes this morning... The Lord in his providence has given you a simple spreadsheet to do a budget on. And what you do on that budget is you take your monthly net income, your take-home pay, and you put it in that first block. Here's how much money I usually bring home in a month. That's simple math. And if you need help with that, man, there's some really skilled people that can help you with this. But here's what I make in a month. And then the rest of those things are just kind of the normal things that cost money in life, right? You notice there is a thing on the bottom called other. So after mortgage or rent and utilities and gas for your car and insurance, one of the other things you could write in there is coffee. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. That's why that's down there. And listen, if, if you do the math... You take the big number at the top and you deduct all of those monthly expenses. And that number at the bottom, you want it to be above zero. Because if it's in the negative, like my friend said, we were $700 a month in the hole. Well, you never, you never know that until you sit down and do an assessment. That, that's one of the first principles that we have, to, we have to start with what we have. I think most people are shocked. Most people probably don't do a budget because... They probably know in the back of their mind, yeah, we're probably not making ends meet necessarily. But then when you put it down, it's like, oh my goodness. It, it really opens your eyes to the reality of the situation. We can't have the ostrich approach to our finances where we put our head in the sand and ignore the reality. We have to come to terms with it. Uh, if, if we are in a financial dis discouraging position. We have to begin with an assessment. We have to sit down and say, what do I have? Okay, so that's the step. And then the next step is this. Look, getting out of debt requires haste and it requires willingness. It requires haste and willingness. Okay, so, so look at what the woman did in the Bible. Verse 3, Elisha says, what do you want me to do and what do you have? And the woman said, I have a pot of oil. So here's what Elisha said. Then he said, go borrow thee of vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shall pour out into all those vessels and thou shalt set aside that which is full. By the way, don't read this passage and think that God wants you to borrow your way out of debt. That's not what the passage teaches. The passage teaches that she's borrowing vessels to put oil in that God is going to to multiply. They're not, you don't borrow your way out of debt, you dig a deeper hole, right? 
You dig a deeper hole. Verse 5, so she went from him and she shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels unto her and she poured out and it came to pass when the vessels were full, God did that miracle that she said to her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said to her, there's not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil, pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. Here's the point. God's desire is that you start with what you have and then he can provide the miracle. You start with what you have and you obey God where you know you need to obey God. You obey God in the tithe. You obey God to give to missions. In other words, we have to follow the principles that God has established. Elisha told her what to do, thus saith the Lord. If she would have done anything else, her financial status would not have changed, and ours won't either, until we come to terms with what God has told us. So this woman obeyed God's word to the letter, and I'll just say it, listen, if you think you're going to see a miracle in your financial house, and you neglect the first two weeks of what we've talked about in this series... How is God going to honor and bless you when you dishonor and rob from him? Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8 says this, Will a man rob God? That's a rhetorical question. Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee, God? And God answers in tithes and offerings. We cannot dishonor God and expect his blessing in our house, on our job, and our finances. But when you honor God, God does the miraculous. I have a very similar story. When we got married, uh, our first year of marriage, I was, I was uh, working as a physical therapist assistant. My wife still had two years of school left. So I'm the only breadwinner uh, in the house, and we're a single-income uh, home. And so she's going to school to be a teacher. And after a year of marriage, I got that wonderful gift from work too, a pink slip. And so now we went from one income to no income, and we got to sign up for unemployment. You say, Jay, what did you do? Well, we stopped eating steak. And we signed up for unemployment. And we just trusted that God was big enough to take care of our situation. By the way, you can't really live on unemployment. The reason for that is so that you go find a job. But I needed a job, and I was trying to find a job. And I just signed up for it, and I said, you know what? I'm going to trust you, God. I'm not going to dishonor you. I'm going to tithe off of this unemployment because this ain't enough to live on anyways, quite honestly. And we did. And all of a sudden, man, God blessed our finances. Man, we had these insurance rebate checks that just started showing up in the mail. What is this? Oh, here's a $100 check. Here's a $200 check. Here's a $50 check. Here's a refund from something that you sent a mail-in rebate on two years ago, and it just happened to come the month after you lost your job. That's called the oil staying. It's, it's called the miracle of God, obeying God and doing what he's called you to do. And, and listen, this woman had to work. Listen, she had to go out. She had to get those vessels from her, from her neighbors. Again, it doesn't mean that you borrow your way out of debt. It does mean that you labor. And, and listen, you, you find a job, man. You work overtime to get out of debt if you need to. You don't need to work on Sunday to get out of debt. You need to honor the Lord. You need to honor the Lord. But listen, take a job, p deliver pizza, Sell some stuff. This is a different sermon, but, you know, in our country, in our culture, we, I, 
Miss Valerie's here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on Miss Valerie for a second. She works at a place where they, they have storage facilities, you know. So in America, what we do is when we run out of room in our garage, we rent a storage facility to put our junk in because we ain't got enough room at home. Don't raise your hand if you have a storage building. I'm not preaching against you. I'm just saying that's our culture. You know what? If we sold that stuff on Facebook or Craigslist or whatever, man, listen, get it out of here. What do you have? And is it worth anything? And can you get rid of it to change your financial situation? (laughs) Sister, I love you. I don't think there's going to be enough repentance that you lose your job. (laughs) It's not my lack of faith. It's just my understanding of the Bible. That's really funny. (laughs) That's really funny. I had this old car, man, when I was, when I was working uh, in physical therapy for years. I, I drove from Decatur to Huntsville. It was a Mazda Protégé. I think it was like a 1995 Mazda Protégé. We bought that thing for like next to nothing off a friend. Had high mileage. It smoked. You know, it burned oil. <clears throat> I mean, it was just a horrible car. But it did get like 40 miles a gallon. It was awesome. In cold weather, the fan belt would like squeak bad. I mean, you could hear me coming around the corner. You know what I'm saying? And... Uh, this thing ran on, like, you know, the Holy Spirit. It really did. <laughs> and I used that car, man, all the time. And I was just, I mean, we were just broke, and I couldn't afford something nice. So that's just, I just kept driving that thing. I was like, I'm going to drive this thing till it explodes. It never did. And uh, but that fan belt, man, I tried to get that thing fixed a few times. A buddy of mine that needed a job, I got him a job at our clinic, and, and so he would ride to work with me. And he always joked about the Mazda. He said, if it don't squeak, it's weak. You know, that was his statement. If it don't squeak, it's weak. And so we let everybody know we weren't weak, man, because you could hear us a mile away coming in. We had that piece of junk car. And listen, you know what? I I really just got to the place. I didn't really care what you thought about my car. You know what I'm saying? I could care less what you think about my car. I I don't care if you think it's a beater, you know, whatever. Whatever, man. Uh, Dave Ramsey talks about having financial peace by having gazelle-like intensity. At some point, you got to get after it. You, you can't just keep doing the same thing, man. Pack your lunch instead of eating out. Look, brew coffee at home. I'm preaching to myself now. Brew coffee at home instead of paying $5 a cup. <sighs> okay, let's move on because I don't like preaching to myself. <laughs> let's talk about you, not me. All right. <laughs> look at verse, the last point is this. Verse 7 is this. Okay, so look. Here's where we got to come to the realization. God did a miracle in this woman's life, in her family's life. God wants to do a miracle in our, life, our lives financially. Listen, verse 7 says this. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. So here's the point. Number five is this. Realize that life, hope, and freedom are ahead. Don't lose hope. You have to realize that life, hope, and freedom are on the other side of this thing. If you'll do the way... If you'll handle your business the way God wants you to handle your business. Now, by the way, God did demand that the woman pay her debt. Did you see that? So God demanded that she pay her debt. God also commanded her to live of what remained. In other words, you know, I hear this all the time. Well, well, I'm on limited income. Listen, there ain't a person I know on this planet that ain't on a limited income. The only person with unlimited resources is God. Everybody else has a limited income. So so quit using that excuse. Learn to live within your means. God wants you to have financial freedom. 
So Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 and 19 says this, Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. God wants you to enjoy life. Man, if, if life is full of despair and discouragement and defeat, and it's because of finances, we're doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong. Verse 19, every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth. Who gave him that, by the way? God gave him that. And hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Why would you not honor him? Why would you not please him? Why would you not obey him? And so, and so four things, three things, excuse me, to end this. I know we're over, but it's important. So we're going to take just a few minutes to finish this. Number one. Concerning financial freedom, I want you to understand this morning, concerning our finances, number one, it is a choice. It's a choice. Outside of our salvation in Jesus Christ, the greatest gift that God has given to us is the ability to choose. You have a free will. Look at Hebrews 11, because the Bible teaches us something about Moses that I think we can learn concerning this issue of finances. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 24, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, listen, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. In other words, by faith Moses said, I'm going to live different than the world does because of Christ. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. And at some point, we as the church of Jesus Christ have to choose to make financial responsibility a priority. And by the way, we do it by faith. We choose not to live like the rest of the world lives because Christ is greater to us. Number two, it's a matter of trust. You, you see, financial freedom in our life really boils down to what do you trust in? First Timothy chapter 6 says this, verse 17 to 19, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in what? And did you know, by the way, that your Bible says that riches are uncertain? You got any stocks? <laughs> you been paying attention to your stock market portfolio in the last couple of months? They're uncertain riches. You don't, you don't put your trust in uncertain riches, but, but, but Paul tells Timothy, you put your trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life, not temporal life, not this life. We live in a way where we trust God for eternity. Don't bind yourself into bondage so that you can't trust in God. Listen, we, many times we have to trust in God to get us out of that but then we trust in our riches to, to give us pleasure and enjoyment and satisfaction. We should trust in the living God instead. We can learn to live with less so that God can do more through us. And then lastly is this. Money is God's litmus test 
for your faithfulness. Money is God's litmus test for your faithfulness. Luke 16 and verse 10 says this, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If, therefore, ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, money, God calls it unrighteous mammon. If you can't be faithful in that, God asks the question, who will commit to your trust the true riches? You know, in our economy, we, we fail to realize there's something more rich than the dollar bill. There are some true riches that God wants to entrust to us, and they are his word, they're his ministry, they're his church, they're missions, there are true riches, there are people who need to hear the gospel. And our, our lack of faithfulness in the unrighteous mammon really makes us disqualified for the, the true riches. We have to be good stewards of what God has given us. And I know your notes must be filled because you're closing your Bible now. So let me formally let you close your Bible. And let me, let me challenge you real quick. Can you imagine a life without payments? Can you imagine a life without debt? Can you imagine peace when you lay your head down at night? That you're not bound and restricted and choking because of your financial picture. Well, listen, it's possible. And if you need help, you need to ask for it. Be humble enough to ask for it because there are people that love you and love the Lord and they want to help you walk out of whatever mess you may be in. And, and whatever situation your situation is, it's not impossible because I serve a God that, that is the God of the impossible. But, but let me get to the main point even greater than our finances. You know, our finances paint a spiritual picture. The truth is that we're all in debt because of sin. The wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. There's a, there's a penalty that we owe for our sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And listen, that is a debt that you are required to pay before a holy and righteous God. And listen, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross of Calvary and he did that for your sin and for mine. But listen, what that means is that you have to receive his payment for your sin into your heart by faith. Just because Jesus died on the cross doesn't mean the entire world's going to be saved, but it can be saved if every person would turn to Christ and ask for forgiveness and ask for help. And listen, to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior means that your sin debt is paid in full. Do you realize that? You think about your credit card debt, your house payment, your car payment, that, there's a balance on that account that has to be paid. And listen, before you came to Christ, you had a sin debt that had to be paid. But the minute you put your faith and trust in Christ, God took your balance and he wiped it clean because of the shed blood of Jesus. If you've not done that, friend, you're living this life on credit. And one day the bill's going to come due. And you'll have to stand and give an account for your sin. And you'll have to pay in full because the wages of sin is death. And I don't know where your financial house is today. But even more important, I don't know where your spiritual house is today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's the day. 
to ask him to save you from your sin so that that penalty can be erased forever. Amen?